Welcome to Come and Reason, a podcast about life, ministry, and God's continuing work in the minds of His people. I'm your host, Joe Henson, and this podcast is presented by DeclaringGlory.com. In this episode, we continue a series of midweek devotionals I've been presenting to the congregation I pastor at Trinity Bible Church. These messages are intended to help prepare our hearts and minds for our upcoming celebration of Thanksgiving. This episode is the second of these five messages. Now, I want to acknowledge as we begin that the audio quality on this recording is not what it normally would be due to an unforeseen technical glitch. Regardless, we pray this message will both challenge and encourage your soul as you worship and praise our great and worthy God. If you have your Bibles tonight, let me ask you to take them out. Again, I'll tell you in just a few moments where we're going to go. Tonight we want to go ahead and continue our series of midweek devotionals on the subject of biblical gratitude and thanksgiving. We mentioned to you last week that we intend to do this for the next few weeks. And last time we considered the first of five messages that I've outlined for us to work through over the next month leading up to Thanksgiving. So that's what we're giving our time to on Wednesday nights, uh, intending to culminate on Sunday morning prior to Thanksgiving as we will come together that day and praise the Lord together throughout that whole morning. So looking forward to our time together then. When our first study last time, we asked and we answered the question, Thanksgiving, what is it? We spent some time together wrestling with that from Psalm 100. That's where we spent our time together last time. Tonight, I'd like to address this subject, ingratitude, fruit of unbelief. As we did last week, I just want to spend the next few minutes with you in one main passage of Scripture. That's what I'm going to ask you to turn to. I'm going to cite a number of other Scriptures that I think will help us in our understanding of what we find here. But I'd ask you to take your Bibles now and turn to the book of Romans. The book of Romans, in chapter number 1. I'm going to spend some time here this evening. You can turn to Romans chapter 1. I'm going to do what we do each week. I simply want to read down through... The verses that make up our text. I want to begin our reading at verse 18. I'm going to read down to verse 25. The Apostle Paul writes this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. 
You know, this familiar passage of Scripture is one that I find myself returning to quite often. I return to it in my personal reflection. I return to it in my public teaching. I often return to it in my private counseling as I intend to point my thoughts and our thoughts and believers' thoughts to the truth of God's Word. This is a passage in its fuller context even that is theologically deep and wide and dense. I, I find that every time I read through this chapter, I, I see more that I haven't seen before, and I find it so very full of wise counsel and practical application for us. So tonight, I want to spend some time here. Now, before we dive too deeply into this passage, I just want to take a moment and remind you quickly of what we saw last week in Psalm 100. These are intended to build on one another as we study together over these next few weeks. So in that passage, just remember this from last week, we were reminded of the fact that genuine biblical gratitude and thanksgiving is to be directed toward God first and foremost. Uh, we tend to think of gratitude and thankfulness merely as an emotion. It's a feeling. It, it's not much more than that. And yet, gratitude and thanksgiving, we said last time, are first and foremost to be directed to God because of realities. And so that gratitude we talked about last week, that thanksgiving to God, is to be rooted in our true understanding of and heartfelt praise for four things we saw in Psalm 100. We said His Godness. Secondly, we said His goodness. Thirdly, we said His love. And fourthly, we said His faithfulness. These are the four things that we saw about God in Psalm 100 that we, 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 we gave our attention to last time and said these drive and these root our thankfulness, our thanksgiving to God. Now, now what I want you to do is hold on to that for a minute, that, that reality we looked at last time. I don't want you to read Romans 1 separate from a reality we've already seen in Scripture from the Old Testament. I want it to serve as it, as it would be for you a foundation for your thinking as we then return to the text that I just read for you a few moments ago. Take that reality that thanksgiving is rooted in the minds and the hearts and the lives and comes out the lips of God's people in genuine gratitude for realities they believe and know about God. The godness, the goodness, the love, the faithfulness. Now I want you to notice with me again what we find in our text for this, this evening. In Romans chapter 1, look again at verses 18 and following quickly. We said there, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse now stop for a moment and just think about this what's going on in these verses what do we find happening here well, according to Paul, God has put his, and I'll borrow a word from last week, his godness on display for all the world, all of fallen humanity to see with unmistakable clarity. 
God has made himself known. His godness is on display in the creation. We talked about this last week. That's supposed to do something in the hearts of those who see it, understand it, believe it, and respond to it. So God has put this on display and he's put three particular things on display. I want to note very quickly. First of all, he's put his righteous wrath on display. Notice what it says there in verse 18 again. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What's it saying? There is a holy God who does not give approval to the wickedness of men. In fact, what he's promised is to pour out his wrath upon the unrighteousness and the wickedness of mankind who rejects the knowledge of God. God is holy and he has revealed himself as such and he has made it known that he is storing up wrath against the wicked. This is a sobering reality. Just pause for a moment and consider it. You know, the old King James says this about God's wrath in Psalm 7 and verse 11. God judgeth the righteous and God is angry with the wicked every day. This reality was the basis of our Lord's warning to his disciples. You remember what he said to them in Matthew 10 and verse 28. And do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. There's a right fear of the wrath of God. And this is why we've read what we have repeatedly in our study of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 31. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That this should strike a right fear in the hearts of sinful people. Yet, there are many who simply ignore or reject this reality. God has made this known about himself. Question for us would be, what are we doing with this reality? Right. So not only has he put his wrath on display, his righteous wrath, but he has also put his amazing power and his divine nature on display. So he said his, his righteous wrath, his amazing power, and his divine nature. Just notice again at what we find in verse number 20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So that they are without excuse. Friends, we said the first is a sobering reality. This is a breathtaking one. You stop and consider it. We know that from the very beginning, God has made this reality known. The scriptures start here. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters and God said, let there be light and there was light. 
Love this in the creation story. God said, let there be, and there was. God said, let there be, and there was. God said, let there be, and there was. God breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. You read the story of creation, and you read the story of God's eternal power at work in what he did in mankind. God, the creator God, is a powerful God. This is known by simply looking at the creation. Man sees there is a God, there is a maker, and he is powerful. So much so, the scripture says they, in seeing it, knowing it, are left before God without excuse. No one will ever stand before God in judgment and wag their bony finger in his face and say, I never knew you existed. That will not happen. God has made himself known to his creatures through the creation that he has made. He has put himself on display and all are responsible for what they do with that knowledge of God. This is what the psalmist often rehearsed. Psalm 19, you know this language. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims what? His handiwork, His power. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. The text goes on to say there's not a single language on the face of the planet where the voice of the cre creation doesn't preach intelligibly to all. They hear this message by what they see and it speaks every language. There is a God and he's powerful. There is a God to whom you are responsible. Psalm 96, we've heard this language before, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all small g, gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless Idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Brethren, we could go on tonight. We don't have time to chase every possible text. I just want you to know that this is the repeated refrain of the Scriptures. Every person on the planet knows there is a God. They may reject that knowledge, and many do, but they know, and they are accountable for what they know, so that they are without excuse.
This is exactly what Paul used, this truth of the, the power and the divinity of God. It's what he used in his argument at the Areopagus to, to point out the God as the one true God. Do you remember his argument in Acts chapter 17? So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God... What therefore you worship as unknown, I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself, look at the next word, gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Now ask yourself for a moment, what is the only right response of the heart of a creature to the sovereign God, who made them, gave them life, and blessed them with everything they possess. Pride, arrogance, that shakes their fist and toward the sky and says, I don't know you exist. Pride and arrogance that goes around strutting through the earth, letting everyone know this life I have made for myself. For humble, repentant gratitude. What is the right response in the heart of a creature before his or her creator? We know. Don't miss this bald faced response though. This truth forsaking, God rejecting response. Paul details for us in our text. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. You see, fallen man does not naturally respond humbly or favorably to this divine revelation of God, the godness of God that he's made known. They knew God, verse 21, but their thinking became futile and empty. 
Their hearts became darkened, it says, verse 21. They claimed, they claimed to be wise. Oh, we have the answers. We have figured life out. We, we can explain how we got here. We can explain how life works. We have found our own way. We will govern ourselves. We'll throw off the bonds of the Creator. We will rule over ourselves. They claimed to be wise. But they became fools. In verse 23, it says they exchanged the glory of the creator God for images of his mortal creatures. The immortal God was made known to them. And they threw the big G away and replaced it with little G's of their own making. Images that looked like them. Like the stuff of this life, the creatures that have been made. You can travel anywhere in this world and you will find people worshiping the creation instead of the creator. This is what Paul is talking about. I want you to notice that tucked right in the middle of their God-rejecting response, there was a simple statement of the fruit that was produced in their unbelieving hearts. Look again at verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. You see, according to Paul, then, they rejected the knowledge of God and they chose not to believe what was true. And as a result, they did not honor the God who made them or give thanks to Him who made them. They did not give thanks to Him as their Creator. They did not give thanks to Him for giving them life. They did not give thanks to Him for making Himself known. They did not give Thanks. They gave praise to themselves. They gave praise to the creation. They did not give praise to the one who gave them life and breath and everything. Simply put, those who reject the knowledge of God will be marked, Paul says, by ingratitude, by a thanklessness that flows from their unbelief. They knew it, but they rejected it. Friends, all of this, I think, should cause us to ask ourselves a few questions before we close tonight. That was, that was pretty heavy, Gerald. Yeah, yeah, that, that was heavy. So what should we be asking ourselves in a month that we, we say we dedicate to giving thanks, right? To prepare for a holiday, to set aside, to, to give thanks. 
and to demonstrate gratitude. Well, what should we, as the professing people of God, do with realities like these? Well, I think we should ask ourselves some questions like these. Brethren, do we truly believe what God has revealed about himself to us? Do we really believe what God has told us about himself? How about this one? Are we truly humbled by what he has revealed to us about himself? I mean, are we humbled by this? I mean, if my life, my breath, my everything comes from him, then, then that doesn't leave a lot of room for pride, right? And yet, can we just be honest? We're, we're proud people. We all, by nature, are just, we're proud. We think a lot of ourselves and our wisdom and our experience and our education and our, our way of life and, and, and what we have made for ourselves. I mean, even as the professing people of God, we, we keep having to put pride to death. So question, are we truly humbled by what he has revealed to us about himself? How about this? Do we honor him as our creator and our sustainer? Does he get the praise and the glory he is worthy of by acknowledging, I can do nothing without him? Even the energy with which I live this life, I live by the strength that he supplies. I get out of bed in the morning without the strength that comes from God. I don't, I don't take another breath without that breath being the gift from the hand of my God to my nostrils. I can't think two clear thoughts if he does not give me clarity. And yet I tend to think how smart I am, how strong I am, how healthy I am, and how, 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 what? We're nothing. Nothing. Apart from God. Do we honor him as our creator and sustainer. How about this? Do, do we honor him as our, our maker and our king? See, a lot of times we'll think, man, he's given me a lot that I'm now accountable to rule over well. Well, friends, we're not rulers. Let's go back to the picture in scripture. We are, we are managers. We're not owners, right? Do we think of him, do we honor him as, as our king? The one who made us, created us, and commanded us. Now I think, knowing, knowing us, I, I, I think our hearts want to cry out, yes, 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 that, that is my heart. I don't do it perfectly, but that is my heart. Praise God. That should be the heart of those who know him. The heart of those who see these realities should respond in this way. But if so, if so, then can I ask a couple more questions? How about this one? If so, what are we who say we believe then marked by? We say we believe this about our maker and our king. We, we say we understand this reality, but what are we marked by? If we take the language of Romans, are we marked by giving thanks? 
Or does it take something like a holiday once a year when everybody's talking about it to finally drag a little bit of gratitude up out of the depths of my heart? Because it just doesn't ever flow out of my heart normally. Is our posture, is the, the bent of our heart ready on a hair trigger to give praise to God? Or is it just not? What, what are we marked by? You can ask it this way. Are we truly and consistently thankful people? I, I don't know about you, but I would have to say that when I am meditating on thoughts like these, thanks flows easily. So why doesn't thank flow from us often? Could it be? But at the end of the day, we're either not meditating on what is true, or could it be that a lack of thankfulness is actually evidence of a lack of belief? I know what I should believe, but I don't really believe it. Because if I did, I would have no other choice but to praise the one who made me. We said from the text that the scriptures reveal to us the fact that ingratitude is not just a mark of pride or self-sufficiency or obliviousness or the like. According to Paul, Ingratitude is actually a fruit of unbelief. When he marks out under inspiration the fruits of those who reject the knowledge of God, I find it fascinating that the two things he notes about them, they would not honor God and they would not give him thanks. That, that's sobering to me. Most of us tonight, we, we would claim I'm in Christ. I know this God. I believe these things. My heart resonated with all that you said. Amen. And could I make this appeal? <clears throat> Brethren, would you, would me, give attention to the truth that is intended to produce within us gratitude that doesn't stay within us, but that comes out of us? that calls others to come to know this God that we've been brought to know, this one that we've been adopted by, this one we've been saved by through the blood of his son. Would, would you, with me, meditate on the truth of God? That means digging into his word, reading the truth of scripture, and not merely letting our eyes go over the page, but begging God to take the word of God and put it in us, planting the seed of his word deep in our souls that actually it would bring forth fruit for the glory of God. Not so that I feel a little better because I read my Bible today. See, there's a difference, right? One is very religious. And one is Christian. My concern in our days is that so many 
who would take the name Christian live very religious. But what doesn't flow often from the heart is the praise that our God deserves and is worthy of. So by his grace, might we think this way? And as we turn our attention to prayer tonight, then let's, let's cry out to God as we did last week from hearts that are genuinely moved with gratitude to God for who he is, his godness. For what he has done, he has made us. He's given us life and breath and everything. For what he continues to do, he is our sustainer. We, we don't take another step apart from our God. Christ made it plain. Without me, you can do how much? Uh, nothing. Nothing. But so often, that's not how we think. But he continues to do, and then also that we would have gratitude for what he has promised to do. There are so many promises in his word that we cling to. So, brethren, let's pray tonight as those who are grateful to God as we ought to be. By his grace, may he be glorified through the praise of his people as we come to his throne tonight. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Come and Reason. This has been the second of five messages on the theme of biblical gratitude. Please join us again next time as I continue this series we hope will whet our appetites and prepare our hearts to praise our great God in the coming days and weeks.